This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This is Julio Rodriguez, and this is the Lookout Landing Podcast. working on shortening that title, making it a little more snappy, but uh, we have an important job to do today, and I couldn't do it by myself, as I am just one man with a very small sliver of uh, Mariner's knowledge compared to my guests today. So uh, on one line, we have Kate Prusser of LookoutLanding.com. Kate, how is your uh, award show uh, vibe going right now? What do we got going on? In Kate world. It's good. It's good. Uh, I watched the Emmys last night, so I'm prepared. Uh, I saw Fleabag take home a lot of well-deserved awards, which I was pleased pleased about. Uh, when They See Us got an award, which probably should have gotten more, but that was good. That was good. I was mostly pleased. I was disappointed The Good Place did not carry home some more hardware, as that is the best show on television for my money, but... It was fun, and I watched some red carpet style, and, and I, I'm ready. I'm sitting here in my uh, bedazzled loafers and, and ready to uh, to pass some judgment. That's great. I'm wearing the Jennifer Lopez dress. I look amazing. It's just green, mm. extremely open. Uh, I'm sitting mm-hmm, in my room mm-hmm. by myself, so only I can see me, but it's the but feeling you're flowing. that matters. You're, you're flowing. It's a very flowy look, yes. Mm-hmm. yes. And a lot of, I would imagine, junk pinching, because it looked pretty pinchy down there. Well, you know, like I said, I'm the only one here, so I've devised a bit of a stance that allows for proper <laughs> proper comfort. 
Yeah, it's a good crouch. You're really getting the glutes activated. With yeah, it. I use the podcast as actually exercise, which a lot of people don't know. It's how I stay in tip-top shape. I think we should record a full standing episode at some point. Just really oh. see how that changes up the atmosphere. Yeah, that's that's next-level thinking. I think, from but we'll see. <laughs> the uh, That analytical mind who's always uh, pushing the envelope for traditional thinking. <laughs> Uh, belongs to the one and only John Troopin, joining us from the eastern shores of Metzville. Hello, John. Indeed. Yeah, doing well. Uh, the Although you didn't ask, but uh, <laughs> it's... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the the Metzville's kind of kind of having a rough one uh for the last uh, like 40 years I think but um it, you know they they're really picking it up Pete, a, pair, a lot of sort of Pete Alonzo jerseys uh on the eight people that live in the town I now live in Oh uh, my god I wish I had I wish I had a Pete Alonzo that would be so fun It'd be good we, we, if you kind of mash Tom Murphy and Omar Narvaez together, you have, <laughs> you have a, like a weird sort of Franken Alonzo. But uh, yeah, it's a, although yeah. with a lot more a lot more defense. Let's be fair. That's fair. In that well, particular mashup, yeah. Yeah. maybe not all the homers, but uh, probably a better overall player. Yeah, yeah. You hear that, Mets fans? We're taking this from you too. <laughs> <laughs> Twenty nineteen has definitely been the yeah. years of Mariners fans snatching Mets fans' wigs, and I'm here mm. for it, to be honest. Mm. Yes, Gentlemen thank you, Mets. My favorite Met is Edgardo Alfonso. Hey, there I just you go. like saying I, his name. It's a great it's name. It's a good one, isn't he? Is he the one who's on? I always mix him and a Ruby Alderazzo up, but one of them's Ooh. an ESPN host, and I think one of them is just chilling at home. I feel Can like you're tell definitely you. both making all these names up. No, just one more time. That was Edgardo Alfonso, and this is NPR. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Ira Glass. <laughs> no, this is not NPR. This is the Lookout Landing podcast, and uh, we're just going to probably jump right into these. There's not a lot of uh, rules. There's not a lot of criteria. Uh, we just came up with a couple award categories and we we're going to hand them out to various players, games, moments of this pretty trying season, I think is the word for it. There has obviously been some high points, but I think overall it was kind of just a repetitive kick to the face from our Seattle Mariners. Mm, that seems right. So I guess, you know, given the, the state of things here, we should probably start with the positives because there were, as I said, some fun moments. Uh, let's just go right into a favorite game from the 2019 season. Uh, for me, it's quite literally the first one on American soil when the Mariners absolutely decimated the defending champion, Boston Red Sox. Uh, this was a home game. They played the two games in Japan, came home for like American opening day. And then somehow, some way, Chris Sale was just throwing like 88 miles an hour and the Mariners were just hitting the ball <laughs> to Tacoma. It was amazing. Yeah, Malik Smith like nearly hit a ball oppo out, right? He hit like a triple. Yes. It was yeah, like first game the triple, and then that was when uh the ESPN camera like panned to second base where they thought he was gonna be and then he <laughs> yes. was on third. He he, to, like, all you saw was Yeah, just like a puff of smoke and his helmet, like which made it further than it did most of the season, right? Like his helmet actually made it to second base on that one. If right. I Impressive. Yeah, the long yeah. Uh, Tim Beckham was also on the team, <laughs> hit two home runs in that game. 
Oh yeah. All right, the feel good story of the season. Uh <laughs> Per, per my report, per reports. You know, I think I'm... nothing better encapsulates the 2019 season of like the initial unsustainable but initial hope and then the total crashing disappointment than Tim Beckham because that, I mean, he got bad before he got suspended, but it was, you know, when he was just going gangbusters, it was like, maybe, 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 oh no. I have a real quick question. So, Matthew, are you looking at the box score of that game already? I am not. Okay. Who was the starting catcher in that game? For the Mariners? Yeah, for the Mariners. I mean, the fact that you're asking me this question tells me it's weird. So, uh got to be David Friedis. It was absolutely David Friedis. It was Good job, Matthew. The Thank home you. opener. David Freitas, uh, oh, I like forgot he actually played in games for the Mariners this year. Yeah, because that was before uh, we had. No, Murphy. sorry. Excuse me. He did not play in games. He played in game. That was the only game he played. Wow. In for the 2019 yeah. Mariners. Wow. <clears throat> it was super weird. What a that was a good one though. I mean, that was it was, it was on ESPN. Like you had just all the excitement. Like, I it was ridiculous yeah but, it was a weird yeah. feeling all around mm-hmm. and they were the defending champs too it was it was you know you actually got the the satisfaction um yeah yeah i'm not sure why the red sox opened on the road now that i think about it but i'll take it i mean they just had to they had the privilege of flying across the country and getting the shit kicked out of them by the mariners mm-hmm. should have been a four-game sweep yeah. Oof. If it weren't for weren't for old Strick. Yeah. <clears throat> In a way, I think that that um, opening series really portended a lot of the season for the Red Sox because, again, yeah. it was like the question was, are the Mariners this good when it should have been, are the Red Sox this bad? To which the answer is a resounding yes. Yeah, they were they were a hot mess. <laughs> just a just a real a real unable to capitalize on playing bad teams like the Seattle Mariners. Right, um, exactly. Which will get you. It'll catch up to you. <laughs> so, suddenly you look up and the Rays are 10 games ahead of you in the standings. Uh, Kate, what about you? Most most fun games. I mean, Favorite, since the fun, opening whatever. series was taken, um, uh, I might go with the Father's Day game where... So they, um, I had to recap two of these games, which is why I remember, and I happened to recap both their wins when they took a series against Oakland. Um, and the, the, it started with, uh, Marco winning against Chris Bassett. And Mm -hmm. when he just in one of the games that I think would become like a hallmark of Marco this season, which is. You know, he's not overwhelming. He's not going to overwhelm anyone. There's been a lot made about his loss in velocity. But what Marco really showed this year is that he is able to chew up some innings. Um, So that made getting rid of Mike Leake, like, acceptable. Because now we have Marco who can kind of step in and take that role. And, you know, he's not going to be that front of the... He's been pushed into sort of an ace-like role that really Mm. doesn't fit him. Um, but now I think we're starting to see Marco evolve into who he should be, which is, you know, that steadying force. Somebody's going to go out there, give you a solid outing. Yeah, he's going to give up some runs, 
But as long as his offense backs him up, like that should be a good night at the park most times. So that was the first game of the series. And then the Sunday was Father's Day where they won. And Malik's had a good game, I believe. Yes. Malik's um, homered, I think, to get the get the t- team on the board. And then he had like the great moment in the dugout where he's like, hi, dad. I don't know. It was just warm. It was it was an overall like good team effort, and um, it, it felt really good to take one from the A's, who I cannot stand. I think, and that was June. Like that was well after the well after the terrible slump of May. So it really felt like it was kind of getting the season back on track, showing that they weren't the terrible team that had been in May. I think that the 2019 Mariners are a lot better team than anyone is ever going to give them credit for being. Like, yes, they were terrible in a lot of ways, but I they, I think that that crash after the, the bright start really flipped a switch for a lot of people, and people missed, like, the fact that they came back, and they weren't that bad. They weren't one of the absolute worst. Like, and when they made... They were flawed. They're young. They're, you know, Kikuchi... Mistakes, mistakes were made, but <laughs> I think that ultimately, like, there's a lot more hope in this team, and I, I especially feel that coming down the stretch, like, the way that they've been finishing, I don't feel as despondent about this team as I think a lot of people do. It was it was definitely easy to sort of check out, and I think it has been nice that, like, in, at, in the end, like, the people who, I guess at the start you had sort of the older guys who were not going to stick around, keeping them propped up to some degree. And then at the end, the sort of resurgence in interest has been led by younger guys who now are going to be around. And you you just kind of had a middle where it was a lot of people who were pretty clear fill-ins that, you know, weren't really getting it done, but it didn't really matter so much. You know, if Wade and Tommy Malone are getting shelled, you know, twice a week, it's, you know, it sucks, but it's, relatively not going to hurt as much. Right. Like, I recapped yesterday's game, which was a loss to the Orioles, which should have felt very bad. But it was... Marco had seven really strong innings. Art Warren had a scoreless inning. Um, Kyle Lewis had a hit. You know, a lot of the guys... It was just, like, they couldn't quite come up with the hit that they needed in the moments where they needed it. Kyle Seeger doubled. Like, Mm. there were... The people who you wanted to see contribute did contribute. It just didn't add up to a win. So I think that that's mm. a good, like, process versus results thing. Like, the mm. results are not always going to be there. And I think that this is something that they're preaching up and down throughout the organization. Getting it at all the levels. Like, stick to your process. The results aren't always going to show up. But you continue to have faith in the process. Continue to do things the way that you that you know you're supposed to do them in and out. Don't let a sudden, a momentary failure or setback shift your whole plan. And I feel like I've heard Kyle Lewis say that multiple times when people have asked him, how are you being so successful? And, you know, he says, I keep it simple and I try to stick to my process, whatever. So I like the idea that there, it's not quite there now, but there's a plan in place and everyone knows what they're working to. They know what they're supposed to be doing. Maybe they don't do it all the time, but they know what the desired result is and how to get there. 
So it yeah. makes even things like a like a lousy loss to Baltimore feel like okay. Right, and I mean we keep kind of touching on it, um, sort of the the dichotomy of the beginning of the season versus the rest of it, which is like eighty five percent of it, if not more. Um, but something that I've been working to confirm, and I don't know. You guys might need to help me out on this. Uh, the Seattle Mariners started thirteen and two. Is that? Do we know if that's mm. fact? I don't know. Let's based? consult Bob that... Nightingale. Mm-hmm. I will not. Uh, Bob, <laughs> Bob, you anywhere? <clears throat> Are you anywhere, Bob? Can you can you inform us? I believe yeah, he's, I he's mean... busy writing alternating eulogies for the Cubs and Cardinals. Or <laughs> <laughs> reporting that, like, I don't know. Matthew Robertson is the new manager of the Royals. Like he's going to uh, be so yeah, so wrong. Yeah. yeah, I hope you lift that porn ban on them. I will absolutely lift the porn ban. <laughs> no, uh, no John ca- Harvey Kellogg your, are you. Your no, campaign I'll, slogan. <laughs> I'll have a white claw in every um, pot. It's amazing. <laughs> this year, I, I mean, I've always known Nightingale was bad. And, like, <laughs> I felt personally angry towards him when he reported that the, the Mariners were, like, the front runners to get Otani. I knew that as soon as I saw that, I was like, "Oh no, we're yeah. definitely not getting him." And then it turned out to be the truth. So, I mean, I, it's been a like a laugh that he's bad at his job or whatever. But kind of this year, I really have very little patience for it anymore. I cannot believe he has a job. He should not have a job. Like, well, and it's interesting because just... he's like he's wrong about seventy percent of the time. Yes, and like. 30 so it, because it's it's not even like a coin flip it's like I mean that's baseball baby <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah put him in the hall that's it's fair fails 70% <laughs> fair. of the time it's fair you know favor. what <laughs> <laughs> so depressing I took it too literally a little bit um but you know there you go uh, All right, so apart from maybe some Bob Nightingale tweets uh I'm curious if you guys have a favorite, like, under-the-radar moment, something that maybe the casual fan has forgotten or didn't know existed in the first place, because there's been a lot of those sort of blips on the radar. I mean, with 67 different players, it's easy to kind of have, like, one moment or even, like, five minutes of the season that were really fun for that person, and then the rest kind of fell apart. So for me, to get maybe your collective juices flowing thinking of favorite moments uh one of mine that happened to come during a game that i was recapping so that helped was uh the ryan court game which was july 27th against the tigers uh ryan court was making his first start in the big leagues after like eight years in the minors Mm -hmm. and he went two for five with three rbi and the mariners won handily and it was a nice reminder that even in the face of the worst season in a very long time that the Mariners can still manage to do some fun things. And like, this would have been the season if any season for like the guy who played eight years in the minors to come up and like immediately foul a ball off his foot or something. And he did the opposite of that. He flourished for a little bit. Uh, I don't think we're going to see much of Ryan court ever again. So I'm glad that he got this one moment. It was at home too. And his family was all there and they were playing the tigers who are truly, truly abysmal so that was one of my favorite ones to see sort of in the middle of the season, too, when, like, a lot of people had checked out, understandably, for a late game in July against the Tigers to have some intrigue. Uh, I would like to thank Ryan Court for that and bestow upon him, like, a $10 Subway gift card or something, something that feels fitting of this <laughs> award show. 
I think that that is a nice choice, and mine would be linked to that, I think, which, similar, um, Tim Lopes coming up and getting concussed in his first major league at ga- major league game that was horrible or his first major league at bat i guess i think he was a defensive replacement before but anyway in his first at bat he gets concussed um or game where he was batting and it was so sad to me like here's somebody who has played for so long and waited for so long for his chance and so like when he came back and started being a valuable player yeah. and and getting Solid. hits and stuff. I mean, that was that was such a huge I was so happy for him. And when he had he had a great catch that wound up on quick pitch or whatever in the outfield where he's never played. So, I think that 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 kind of stands out to me. It's just there's not one moment exactly, although maybe the fact that he got you know, nationally shouted out for a catch in the outfield when he's been an infielder. I'm just I'm really happy for Tim Lopes. So, my my I would say my favorite under it's not it wasn't necessarily under the radar at the time, but considering that the entire stretch of the season it happened in was under the radar, uh, when Mike Leake almost threw a no hitter and oh, like, yeah that was fun ended up throwing <laughs> a complete game shutout like right before getting traded, that was legitimately one of the funniest like experiences I've ever had watching a baseball game where like he just he struck out Mike Trout and Shohei yes. Otani like <laughs> did not give up just any any hard contact like one walk and a like shitty ground ball single to Luis Ringifo and nothing else from literally Mike Leak uh, I mean it, yeah so that that was like in terms of a moment that just I will remember laugh like just out loud laughing at every successive out and that was that after one. the Angels no hit the Mariners on Tyler Skaggs night immediately after yes. like yeah one the week next, to the day like, I one think. week to the day they had a like a mirror like series like they had been in LA and then they were uh I, maybe back in LA, I actually don't remember if it was in Seattle or LA, but like just outrageous. Right. It felt a little like a, a tilting of the scales by the baseball gods. They were like, you know, we kind of had to do that other right. thing. Right. Sorry. We know you guys aren't as bad as the angels. So right. here's the, like, here's mm-hmm. this readjusting mm-hmm. of the scales. We're going to let mm-hmm. Mike Leake strike out the greatest player uh, of all time mm-hmm. a bunch yeah. of times. Sure. And then in the, Top of the ninth, the baseball gods went for a cigarette, and that's <laughs> blew it. That was another oh, game that's... that I was recapping, so I will definitely, like, that's going to be one of the more memorable. I think the most memorable for me, just in terms of the circumstances, was the, the game in Japan, like the very first game, because mm-hmm. just watching the Mariners at three in the morning isn't really something you forget. Right. But the Mike Leake game, I was recapping, and I don't mm-hmm. know about you guys, I definitely approach games that I'm recapping differently based on like all the factors obviously like so I'm looking at it I'm like okay Mike Leake is pitching the Angels destroyed us last week like Mike Trout was fully healthy fully hitting the crap out of the ball so I didn't really like pay much attention you know what I mean like the first four innings or Mm. so I'm like doing other things you know like 
one eye on the game, one eye on Twitter, whatever. And then I hear Dave Sims, like, because he mentions it early. Whenever there's a no-hitter or a perfect game, he'll let you Mm -hmm. know. So I was like, all right, this is something to watch. And then, like John said, I was, like, just dying laughing at how this was happening because he's, like – he was making, like, Mike Leak pitches, but they're still not, like, great pitches, you know what I mean? Like, he was throwing, like, belt-high 88, and it would, like, just miss the barrel. And then one thing that I specifically remember was at the end of the game, his outfield was Dylan Moore, Malix, and Domingo Santana, (laughs) who are all terrible defenders. I mean, Dylan Moore, bless his heart, just not an outfielder, you know? (laughs) No. Yeah. He can handle the glove, but not in left field in a perfect game, maybe. And then there's that one the classic uh, image of Domingo looking for a fly ball in that game and the camera catches him like palms up. Oh like he has God. no yes. idea where the ball the is. The story in four, in four, <laughs> four yeah. stages, just a complete disaster. Yeah. Yeah. And wow. an unbelievable exit interview from Mike Leake really is what that was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, that like, there wasn't quite the like 2016 moment where Joel Peralta just struck out Mike Trout literally like on Ugh. 80 like 87 miles. I've forgotten about right that. Because like that's the like quintessential just like hilarious, pointless but hilarious moment. Like he was the like closer or like a main high leverage person. He was like he was that old. was we had Ho- Joaquin Benoit. Yeah, who oh, sucked? Yeah. Who like taught? Who like taught Edwin a bad slider, and then yeah, <laughs> and, like Edwin had to like learn a good slider the next year. Like Joe Wheeland was around. Like oh, ah, anyway, man. We, yeah. Um. Anyways, yeah. So that that was that was I think at least when we when in coming to mind for this, I think that was the n- moment that stood out for me. That's a great answer. Uh, never forget that Mike Leak was on the Mariners for a sneaky long time and threw a lot of innings because that's all he does. Is he just goes out and throws the baseball. I wouldn't even say that he's like, like I, I was trying to think of a good word to describe him. Like he's better than mediocre, Extent. but he's he's not great. So it's Extent. like, he's, yeah, he's just the guy at your office who does his job and like talks to absolutely no one. And then you look up and you're like, Oh, it's been seven years and Mike still works here. That's how I feel about Mike Leake, who I love. I don't want this to border on uh, hate for Mike Leake. It's all, it's all love. No funk on my end here. (laughs) Um, Let's move to uh, an award that I put in our little shared Google doc here. Cause I'm curious uh, what you guys think about this i want to know who the most lovable player on the 2019 mariners is for y'all because a lot of a lot of these people are new a lot of them probably won't be here next year so this feels like a very like time capsule roster like obviously don't pick kyle seager unless you know you have some really important thing to get off your chest about kyle seager like we all know who kyle seager is we all will remember him for years beyond 2019 but uh for me like because we were introduced to him this year um, in many ways. I mean, he was brought to the organization this year and then made his debut with us. I'm going to take as my most lovable player uh, one Shedrick Long. Because <laughs> I think a lot of it, too, is... All love, no water. Yeah. <laughs> Shed Long, who famously in an interview on the record said that he does not drink water, which seems troubling for a professional athlete. <laughs> But he's proven us wrong time and time again. Um, I think a lot of the reason for my love for him is 
like just based on his stature like it's almost like parental i feel like like i want to nurture him and see <laughs> him grow him. <laughs> yeah protect him like it's a lot of that and then when he hits his massive home runs like he did in pittsburgh then it's mm. like that ultimate parent moment where you're like all the other kids didn't like they underestimated him they slept on my boy and then he hit a 450 foot home run like such i knew he con- could do it such a conundrum of physics him and dylan moore both shedlong has an iso of like 200 and I think Dylan Moore's is close to that. Both of them checking in the 180s weight-wise. Well, Shedlong How? at least, like, swings like it. Like, Shedlong swings as though he, like, he is putting everything that his entire body, like, his pinky toe is going <laughs> yeah. on this, on this yeah. swing. Shed thinks like, he's Cody Bellinger, for sure. He like, doesn't see any reason why he can't put up Cody Bellinger numbers. No, no and we should expect it of him. You know, this probably, I mean, he probably has, a, has had a debut season about, like, what Cody Bellinger did, so... You know, nowhere to go but up. Yeah, no one checked the numbers on that. It's true. Uh, <laughs> one of the better rookie seasons of all time, and that is that's how we're gonna remember Shed Long. So no one think anything otherwise. What about y'all? Who's your most lovable player most that you want to just squeeze man. and snuggle what? for all of eternity? Potentially, it might just be going the opposite end of the spectrum, but I I will I will say Domingo Santana. Oh. We haven't really gotten to see Domingo for like pretty much the second half of the season. Like they sh- they basically shut him down, understandably. Once he, you know, he had like the elbow injury, and they were trying to like DH him and see if teams would still trade for him at the All Star break, and then no one would, understandably. So they were <laughs> just kind of getting him. But like he just had so much easy power, especially early in the season, and obviously the defense was disastrous like comically comically disastrous but the the way that he could just slap a base get under a baseball and just make it disappear uh combined with sort of the way that he seemed to genuinely get elated by like he's in there on the like hype circle like the jump circle when they at the end of the dugout the neighborhood yeah the neighborhood Um, and like, he's like, I just remember Dylan Moore hit his first career Homer and he like, there's a gif I made of him just like coming over after everyone and just like giving him a big headlock and noogie and just like walking away, like beaming, just like, look at what the little one did. (laughs) Like, hooray, hooray for Dylan. Um, I don't know. I just, I found him delightful. I'm sad he ultimately didn't have you know that much success and that he'll probably be traded but god i loved watching him play offense not 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 defense Mm. yeah it's an important caveat for sure he also we talked about the physics of shed swing domingo has a weird swing Mm -hmm. too where like it looks like he's gonna break his really wristy yeah yeah Yeah. (laughs) i don't understand how that works power wise like and he also like ditched batting gloves at one point it looked very like 1960s for a second very strange. He looks, he looks like he's trying to sort of be a like swing like a T Rex might. Um, yes. <laughs> which is which is a weird choice, but like he really. So I was I'm I'm a larger fellow, not quite as big as Domingo, but I was I remember distinctly being accused at one point uh, by a coach of mine of being a two hitter in a four hitter's body. Um, and swing, like having a very contact oriented, like slap kind of swing. And I feel like Domingo just weirdly does that where he's like, he, in his mind, he's like, this is the like, (laughs) either like compact swing. And he still strikes out like 
29% of the time somehow. But in his head, he is like the sort of speedy slap hitter, and the ball just goes too far sometimes. Kate, do you have a, a most lovable 2019 Mariner that you would like to stump for in this upcoming election? <clears throat> well... I would like to stump for, I can't really because of the rules that you laid out, but uh, D. Gordon would have been high on my list just because I know that offensively he has been disappointing two of the three years he's been here. Um, I know that he's kind of being squeezed off as far as having a place on the team. And I know that you can't quantify chemistry or whatever people say, but I think D has such a huge role to play leadership-wise, and I don't think we see it outside the clubhouse all the time, and I don't... D certainly won't talk about it himself, but, you know, DePoto mentioned this a little bit as far as, like, the African-American community that they are... they've built in the clubhouse. Uh, they have the highest percentage of African-American players on any 40-man roster, um, and just kind of the leadership he's shown to those younger guys, I just, maybe I don't find him totally lovable, but I love him, um, and I think that he loves on the other players, and he's a huge reason why those guys genuinely seem to like each other and pull for each other, and I mean, they could be so down after this season, but... You know, they've got the, the celebration circle when someone homers. They lifted up Kyle Seeger. Um, you know, they were so happy for him when he started succeeding. And, you know, it's just, I think it's moving to see. And important. I think it, it plays an important role. Um, but as far as most lovable, the one I would like to pinch and squeeze and cuddle, I have to say Omar Narvaez. Yes, he's Who very is, cuddly. He's so cuddly, um, and kind of related just the to cheeks. He's just—I mean—and his baby is so cute, and he loves his baby, and <laughs> loves that his baby looks like him. I mean, he's just—he's got such a sweet and fun personality. And again, related to the African American players, they did African American Night and took a picture afterwards. And you know, Omar and Domingo are both part of that—the hood. It's all the players of color, essentially who make that circle and, and embrace whoever has just done a good thing, um, which I think is a really cool bit of leadership to have. And I just, I would challenge you to look at any other clubhouse or any other group of guys and see that around baseball, which is cool in a sport that is historically pretty white. Um, so that is neat to see. But when they took the picture afterwards, Omar was so mad that he had been left out of it. I, I don't know if he like didn't understand why he wasn't part of the African-American panel or what, but he was like, why'd you take this picture without me? And then in, on his Instagram, he put in, he drew himself in as a stick figure <laughs> and he drew Domingo in as well. And he said like, now we are talking and, He's just, like, always the guy who responds to everybody else's Instagram. Like, he leaves these really sweet comments on everyone else's Instagrams. Like, he's he's just, he's got a really big heart, you can tell. And he's so happy to be here. He wants to be good. I want him to be good. Like, obviously, the bat is there. The defense, I really hope, takes a step forward. They've only had him for a year. They've only been working with him for a year. The White Sox are terrible. Terrible! 
at developing catchers. So I'm crossing my fingers that all of that comes together, but absolutely I love Omar Narvaez. White Sox, terrible. Mariners, I... I... That is a reference to the infamous Kyle Lewis Instagram video where he uh, instructed all of us not to smoke hookah because (laughs) it's terrible for you and not to drink liquor because it's terrible for you, but wine, I... Really begs the question, too, because Kyle Lewis, I mean, pretty much only hanging around other Mariners minor leaguers. So who... Who out there is smoking, smoking hookah? hookah? Yeah, I don't want to know. I'm I'm hoping the answer is no one, but uh, so that seems like a deliberately um, seems like it could really ruin your ability as a professional. It seems like the worst thing you could choose to do as a professional well, athlete. Who <laughs> wait till you hear about chewing tobacco? <laughs> it's everywhere. <laughs> I mean, that's bad, but like hookah yeah, no, is your your respirate, right? Yeah. I don't know. I'd like to believe maybe it was Nick Rumbelow. I could see Nick Rumbelow yes. believing in hookah and and maybe it was him. So let's just let's imagine it's someone who's not here anymore. Yeah, Nick Rumbelow, if you're listening, please pass the hookah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I like that answer. Good, good work all around. All right, what if we we now transition to the sadder part? This is where everyone can pivot to whatever their uh, coping mechanism of choice is, uh, as we sort of sink into really the the peak of Mariner-dom, which is the one thing that we're all sort of familiar with and comfortable with, which is the Mariners being bad. So let's just you know put our head down and get through this portion of the show. Uh, this could be like almost the in memoriam part of the award right. show where we we don't want to spend too long on it, but we need to acknowledge that it happened sort of thing. I want to go first because I feel like you guys might have the same answer. Okay. And I know for a fact that mine will be different. Okay. Introduce the category and then tell us who you have winning it. So most disappointing, I have um, Domingo Santana. Sorry, John. Okay. I am really, I'm so disappointed in Santana. I had such high hopes and I am worried about, I, I don't like the swing. Uh, I'm worried about the contact issues. His, defensively, he has been a nightmare. I mean, maybe you could put Vogel back. Uh, I don't know, deal him, look for someplace else, DFA him, whatever. Put Santana in at DH, but I feel like that's such... Like, you look at him and you're like, he's so athletic, why can't he work this out? And I just, I've, I, as far as, like, the high, the level of hope I had for him versus what he's doing now, I think is, that makes him the most disappointing for me because I just expected a lot more. And when DePoto gave his like state of the team town hall address, uh, Domingo Santana's name did not come up at all. So I feel like it's a very, if they can find a taker and I feel like whatever they trade him for is going to feel like a very low return. And I think that there's a really good chance he goes somewhere else and just blossoms. And then we're all like, why not here? Well, uh, it'll be like a Chris Taylor situation or whatever. So uh, that's that's kind of my worst case scenario for how things shake out. But I definitely feel like he's not a Mariner in 2020. I, I will say to to defend my boy just a little bit, I, I think that the injury really robbed him of a chance to make that next level of adjustment. Um, 
because he, he started off so hot offensively and then was slumping for a while. Um, he had a couple of different stretches where he had a slump, picked it back up, slumped again, um, and he was definitely on a slump when he got hurt. And I, I would have been interested to see a full year of him instead of just, you know, half a year, especially with how catastrophic the defense was for the first stretch. Um, I will say, Matthew, do you have a do you have something in in mind specifically that you are, are really fervent about? I'm not fervent about it, but I have a clear winner in this category. So yeah, you go first, I, and I'll tell you if it matches. Yeah, I mean, it's Yusei Kikuchi. It sure um, is, yeah. Which, yeah, it, it, it again feels bad because it was so exciting to have him brought in, and especially, I mean, this offseason, one of the things we talked about was that it felt good to see the team making an investment in a player for the present and the future like this, um, that, that, you know, it was the kind of move that, leaned towards we're actually you know looking to make this a reasonably competitive turnaround and not make this a disastrous or not disastrous but a wretched to watch like a five-year typical rebuild exactly um you know which is not to say that that wouldn't have worked but if you can do it in a different way now that is still compiling talent while also getting incrementally better at the big league level that's more pleasant as a fan <laughs> um and kikuchi just could not deliver that this year and i think there's a great chance that he still shows something better than he was but because you know he throws at a velocity that is it's difficult to really struggle if you can throw that hard and you have as good of off-speed pitches as he will sometimes show um but you know he and justice sheffield i think are are two sort of not peas in a pod but are two two very similar types of players in that you know they have that really impressive toolbox and they were not able to get to it consistently this year and i'm hopeful that this the challenge this year in a relatively low stakes environment leads to sort of more not necessarily more focus but just a, a a a focus on the right things that'll that'll let him succeed more easily and and be more effective next year uh and going forward cuz he had some of the more exciting starts of the season it just was drowned out by so much struggle and that was tough to watch yeah we don't need to harp on it too much that was definitely my pick as well um it's really disheartening because we had had sort of the reversal of this recently where the big ticket free agents had been really fun, like obviously Cano and Cruz being the main two. And then, you know, you miss out on Otani, obviously, but get another very sort of shiny, like toolsy prospect. Like obviously Kikuchi doesn't hit, but all the reports coming out of Japan that his stuff was incredible. I mean, he's still very young. He was very, like, the makeup report was good. He didn't seem like he would be, you know, too overwhelmed by the move or whatever. And he picked Seattle because he liked the vibe, basically. And he said he liked trees and mountains and referred to Ichiro <laughs> as Mr. Ichiro, who was like a man in the sky, I believe was the, the direct translation. Mm -hmm. Yes, like, that was it like a mythical deity. So all that seems so great. And then he really just struggled. There's no way around it. I mean, he set the 
Major League Baseball rookie record. And, folks, Major League Baseball is old as hell. He said... <laughs> Set the Major League Baseball rookie record for most home runs allowed. And obviously there are circumstances for that. No one was hitting home runs at this rate ever. But he still was just getting the middle of the plate way, way too mm-hmm. much. Which, if you had to pick sort of one... Like, Area to not get? Yeah. Or I mean, like just it's, the one it, tangible it, struggle. It's been that. And bad. also <laughs> that, like... Like anybody yeah. else would have been, any other rookie would have been optioned down, right? That that just mm-hmm. wasn't something they could do with him this year, That's true. or that they wanted to do. Yeah. But you know, if it was a typical like brought up through the minor leagues, non international free agent mm-hmm. signing, I feel like that it definitely yeah. would have been someone who would have been optioned. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we should mention too that there was a lot of off the field stuff that uh, you just really can't ignore. I mean, the move obviously, like adjusting to Major League Baseball and an entirely new country and culture, and then he also had the death of his father and then the birth of his child all during the season. Which mm-hmm. I mean, I can only imagine, but that can't be something that would help. Leo would Daniel Kikuchi. Yeah. Amazing name choice, honestly. And even if Daniel Vogelbach never matches the success of this year, just that legacy for me is enough to carry on his name. I mean, literally and figuratively carry on his name forever and ever. I So, yes, Kukuchi is very disappointing. I have a lot of hope just because of some things that I think were complicating this year, not just the off-field stuff, but remembering the fact that he came with a team of his own analysts that he's had forever. Boris gave him some analysts, some people telling him what to do. And then he's got the Mariners. And then beyond that, he's seeking his own information. Like he's seeking out Trevor Bauer to talk to. He's trying to look at like what Marco and Wade and Tommy Malone and um, the other lefties in the rotation are doing other pitchers whose names we can't remember. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, He's looking at his fellow pitchers and, and trying to like take things from them or think about what they're doing. And um, I just, I think it was information overload a lot for him. And he, he is a person who's highly analytical and he likes information, but just like the processing of that, it's almost like the Mike Zanino thing where, he never got on one specific plan to follow because there were so many different things coming after him, coming at him year after year. So he's another one. I think this off season is going to be huge. Um, I think the Mariners ability to sell him on listening to them and not listening to the Boris people or maybe his people that have been part of his team forever, which is a scary thing to depart from. Um, it's going to be a real test of how much cred they have built up with their with their players if they can get them kind of streamlined because i do i believe in the mariners pitching coaching i believe that it can get pitchers on the right track um but can they sell it is the question yeah that is definitely something to look for in the off season uh i think they gotta make a big move uh, oh they, boy. they need to go for it. Well, well that's, for, that's for an off-season podcast. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the, before we move on, the Zanino thing that you brought up is interesting, too. Not only just sort of the incredible avalanche of information, but also made me think of how this year might have looked different if he had been throwing to Mike Zanino or just a different catcher in general. Not that, you know, 
Narvaez isn't just completely useless, but he's not a defensive catcher. And I think that that would have at least, like, if he had Jeff Mathis. They figured yeah. out too late he needed to be throwing to Tom Murphy all the time only. So that was, that's another aspect. I think if he had been throwing to Tom Murphy in the first half of the season, mm-hmm. things might look a little different as well. Not and too I different, actually, but a little different. And I really do wonder, actually, like, what what they will be doing next year with that. I, I know we don't want to get too in the weeds on this, but, like, they are going to be pitching pretty much exclusively starting pitchers who they are hoping are going to be there for quite some time next year. Like, the rotation will be Kikuchi and Marco and Justice and Justin Dunn and, you know, probably – a. a some other young players pretty soon and like we watched a lot of could be strikes at the bottom of the zone yeah get lost and especially if you have a bunch of ground ball pitchers which not all the guys are coming up but some of them are that's a really especially for like Sheffield and for Kikuchi who are trying to work at the bottom of the zone so much that's such a hard thing so I I wonder if they will try and make some sort of move there uh, you know obviously Murphy would be fine but what what they might do to try and better set those guys up to, to for success yeah it's gonna be fascinating okay let's do one more uh bummer and then we'll end on some funny ones uh yeah someone I'm guessing this was Mr. Troopin someone snuck this one into our Google Doc the personal low point of the season for you <laughs> that's a fun little thought exercise I couldn't really pinpoint one, but I remembered sort of when it was. And then when I went back and looked on Baseball Reference, I was like, okay, yeah, that matches. And it was when the Mariners went 3-13 and in early to mid-May. And it wasn't yeah. just the losses. It was they lost, this stretch included losses by the scores of 14-1, to 11-2, and they lost to the Twins 18-4. to Oh, uh, that was a rough one. Yeah. Brutal. And that's when it became apparent that, like, not only was this team bad, which we kind of knew, like that just reinforced it, but then it really showed you like how far away they were. Yeah, it was when the run differential got, because initially the run differential, they started losing and the run differential was still fine. And then those specific losses that you're talking about just absolutely blew the run differential out the water. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, and they were playing good teams too, and it was just like a very stark reminder that like those teams are running laps around the Mariners right now. Way even the Red Sox yeah. who we started off by making fun of, like they were the ones who provided the fourteen to one loss. This was uh, Mother's Day weekend when they were in Fenway, uh, coincided with this stretch, and the Mariners looked so bad that whole weekend. As in in uh, in attendance for those games, and <laughs> it was, was well delightful because uh, it was my first time in Fenway, and because they had just called up Shed and JP. Uh, was otherwise pretty brutal. Yeah, so that's when I decided that, like, maybe don't, like, you know, don't live and die with the Mariners as much as you have in the past because it's just going to be a lot of death, basically, which (laughs) I guess is useful in a way. Like, I think every sports fan, and this can apply to life too if you want to make it uh, deeper, but, like, there's a point in a lot of things that you love where you realize that like maybe you're harming yourself, and I think that comes up every season with the Mariners. This one just happened to be in mid-May, which is usually yeah. not the time that I'm ready to check out yet, but you know, life comes at you fast, as they say. Um, I think, yeah, I think mine probably was right around in that same stretch. The, uh, 
the Cubs games to right at the sort of turn of April and May were I think also there because I was very excited for those games because I I liked you know I I like when the Mariners sort of face some premier teams um but they like blew one of, and I think they'd just been blown to hell by Texas a couple times oh yeah when they, Texas was good yeah and Brandon Brennan had been a really nice bright spot and then and he just got, got hurt. lit up well and he well, got lit up in one of the games he got lit then, up prior to him being hurt I believe because yeah, I think that I, yeah um well and just like in the Cubs series that and then they just got uh like Marco just got obliterated that was awful and I, it was just like okay like <laughs> I'm ready like we're we're in the bad part like they, there's no there's no sort of turning back um I, they were still I think over 500 at that point but it was like it was very clear like upcoming was Cleveland and the Yankees and Boston and that whole stretch that Matthew just alluded to and it was just like I remember just I think I was listening to one of those games and walking around Green Lake and just thinking like I don't want to watch this I don't like I don't want to consume this and like mm. that's very rarely the case for me like I'll watch shitty baseball and still enjoy it especially when it's the Mariners and it was just like there's nothing here for me <laughs> this is all darkness yeah smart move by the Mariners too to sneak in the 21 to 1 loss on a Seahawks Sunday when no one was paying yeah. attention God, that, that was, was a low point Felix versus Garrett Cole I believe a Crawford box home run away from getting perfect game oh, 21 God, to nothing right. yep that was awful. Which would have been, I mean, it already is, but if they had gotten perfect gamed and lost by 21, that's the worst loss ever. Like, I mean, it already was ever. the worst yeah. loss ever, franchise Well, by wise. them, but like... But like in the history anyone, of baseball. Because <laughs> they've already been no hit twice this year? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they have. I forget who been... one of them one was. I know one of them was the Angels one. Well, the other one I just 100% have put out of my mind. Yo, boy, me too, now that I think about it. Who was the other person that no hit us? Was it another combined one? Um, uh, I think it was a two-person one, maybe. Were They They got no the hit Angels? by the Angels, and they got no hit by the Astros. Oh, yeah, it was the Astros. Yeah, that was when Aaron Sanchez started. Yeah. Oh, okay. fuck me. Which yeah, sucked. you're right. Yeah, that was so... <laughs> combined no-hitters don't count. I'm sorry. They don't count. Yeah, not Man, nearly shots as Shots cool. fired at Kevin Millwood. Yeah, they don't count. Sorry. <laughs> A yeah, no-hitter is, <laughs> the whole hard part of the no-hitter is going the distance. Like, it's no, being it's... able to throw strikes in the eighth inning, so. I no, actually, I I'm, I'm actually kind of with you on this. I, like, I, it's just not that, it, like, I, I'm a big fan of complete games and shutouts and just generally, like, a starting pitcher going deep in a yeah. game is very interesting to me and, like, that it is that sort of, like, one person that that you get that one-on-one experience that you you know you you don't always get highlighted otherwise in baseball i think that's yeah yeah i'm, I'm not i won't go with you on the drop third strike rule i will go with you on Ugh, this one, though. you're so wrong but okay what's next <laughs> matthew oh wait i didn't give my personal low point yeah hit us with a quick personal low point uh it actually is the other day it's uh watching austin adams tear his acl oh, or yeah, whatever it was that he did i mean yeah. damage his acl yeah. um 
I have not done this in a long time, but I stood at the TV and I screamed, no, uh, like the power of my voice could reverse it. And the reason why is I love Austin Adams. I think he is super fun. Um, I love his whole like gum chewing swagger on the mound. I think he's an absolute steal that the, mm-hmm. that again proves the superiority of the Mariners ability to develop pitching just by being like, hey, throw this good pitch more and this bad pitch less, which <laughs> Andy's should... the best uh Andy's the best on Austin Adams when we had that fun match. Yeah, yeah, he was the superior Austin Adams. I mean, he's just he's overall been and my dad loves him and it's been hard to get my dad to like get invested in the team. Like my dad's so he still believes in like um you know he wants them to win every time he watches obviously he Absolutely. does and we've had a lot of conversations about the step back and every time i talk to him and you know the mariners have played and lost he's like i know i know draft pick like uh <laughs> i've been trying hard to get him on board with like the minors and everything that's happening there but um you know austin adams was a really easy thing to sell him on he loved austin adams and so just seeing him go down was crushing for me but also like crushing i know for my dad and um and also that eliminates the two kind of i think most fun things because connor sadzek is also down Mm -hmm. um and those were kind of i thought like the two things like hey we can get guys from other places and make them better um, and I, I still think, or Brandon Brennan is a good example too. All three of those guys have been hurt, which sucks, but mm-hmm. I think all three are good examples of like, Hey, we can, we can maximize value from teams that maybe don't see the value in these players as much as we do. So I think it's a good argument for the Mariners ability to develop pitching. I think the pitching development is in a better place than it's ever been. Um, and so just, just, just that ending really felt like, like, did you need to kick us while we were that far down? Like, I don't, I don't think you did. So yeah, yeah that, that was, was a tough. low point for me. That was tough. It's like when a television show will kill off one of your favorite characters right at the end of a season. And it's like, are you expect me to come back now? Like, of course yeah. not. This is where I leave you. So <laughs> these last, these last eight games could have a real tree falls in the forest kind of feeling to them. Um, all right, let's get to another award that I'm excited about. Um, one of the perks of watching your team lose over and over again is you can start to develop uh, strong opinions against the teams that they're playing or the, uh, the players that the players that are constantly just stealing our players' lunch money. So this award is called Best New Enemy, in which I'm assuming we are all going to pick uh, either a team or, more specifically, one player or one coach, I guess, whatever you want to do, mm. who you've decided that you now hate uh, irrationally. So I know my answer. I think a lot of people who <laughs> are familiar with my brand. We're going uh, to save you for last, Matthew. I'll go yeah. first. Um, okay, yeah, go first. I will go with Luis Renjifo from the Great Los pick. Angeles Angels of Anaheim, California, USA world. Um the the angels angels yeah he is super annoying because he used to be a mariners prospect he was dealt away because during the period where like depoto was trading from the low parts of the farm in order to get mlb adjacent players who could hopefully help push us over the edge but unfortunately those players that he was traded for were um Mike Marjama, who is no longer in baseball, he is retired, and when he tried to come back, was busted for PEDs. 
and band and Ryan Garten, who is uh, in Tacoma, I think, and just he hasn't had a, he ever. He had a pretty good year in Tacoma. He played a one game to this year, I think. Um, Did he? I believe he was in that Sporkle quiz. I um, happen to have this. Three games, th- or two, inni- two games, three innings uh, yep. this year. And then they, they stuck him back through waivers. Um, and he threw 65 innings in uh, in AAA this year. Yeah, not uh, so bad. Yes, he had a, an ERA of 12 in his three innings. Um, yeah. Anyway, so that was who Luis Renjifo, who has meanwhile turned into a very productive little player for the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim, California, mm-hmm. USA. Um, who is, I don't think they're that good at player development. I gotta be honest. They're certainly not good at pitching development or keeping Mm -hmm. their pitchers healthy, Mm -hmm. but player development, it just feels like they kind of lucked into trout. Um, they have Joe Adele, who's going to be a nightmare for us coming up through the system, who again, is just like probably good drafting freakish talent. Um, one of those high-risk, high-ceiling picks that is just panning out for them. It annoys me. I'm annoyed. And I'm annoyed that Luis Renjifo, who, I don't know, maybe got it when he went to Tampa Bay for a while and got helped out there. Who knows? But he's going to haunt our dreams for a while in as, as, a, as an angel, and that's frustrating. Hate him. Um, I think that's, I think that's pretty good. Um... My, the, definitely the entity that made me the most, like, angry this year, um, was the New York Mets. Um, and no. it was, like, was that yours? <laughs> no, 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 I'm just saying. No, like, what I are you, wanna... cho- obviously the enemy has to be a divisional oh, opponent, or no, at least not... in the league. Absolutely not. How are no, they our no. enemy? We I was just saying up. no because I love the Mets and I don't want anyone to speak badly about them. Well, so here's the thing. I've definitely like become a Mets fan because I I'm living now in New York. And, and you're a not... trader and you write for the Mets SB Nation site. Exactly. Yes. Um and like they are hilarious and so terrible. Hilarious. It, it, so, like, I adore them. Like, they've brought me immense joy. But I was pretty angry because I realized I was, like, actually upset when they were losing the other day. And that was very, like, frustrating to me because I did, the, you know, it's like when you're, when you have a relationship and it's like you're, you're kind of in the fun, like, chill phase. And then you realize, like, ah, shit, like, this is now serious and you're you're not sure whether that's really what you want. That's how I am with the Mets right now. Yeah, We're in this like, like weird weird stage that I'm not really comfortable all with. All of this feels extremely tertiary. No, well, I get it. You ever been in a relationship and then Steven Matz shows up and you're like, no, exactly. it's we didn't want this. Actually, yes, yeah. It's, <laughs> it's awkward. He's so tall, um, very handsome. Yeah, he's yeah. Well, and so all of that combined with the fact that. All I really wanted from them this year was for Robinson Cano and for Edwin Diaz to have, like, good years. Because it really, obviously, as Matthew Penn, thank you, Mets. This has gone great for us. That's fabulous. But, like, this could have been a mutually beneficial situation. It should have been. It should have been. It should have been. I saw this because I was looking. I I just was absentmindedly doing some some Edwin Diaz-related searching uh, 
just just while thinking about this question, Edwin has struck out 42% of opposing hitters in the second half of the season and has a 5.73 ERA. <gasps> so like seems bad. It's just like it's just inexplicable to watch these players who we were like thought you know like so un unbelievably reliable and consistent and delightful just look defeated like i've seen edwin look defeated and i hate the mets for doing that to him because it's their fault it's not his i i refuse to believe that he is has any blame to be taken in this effort it mickey calloway has done something wrong yes put something i mean his mickey calloway has done a lot of things wrong i would also blame the new ball to some extent i think that that has killed a lot of sliders so Mm -hmm. No, 100%. Um, and Mickey Calloway spits in his punch bowl as well. Absolutely, so. sure. Yes. Yeah, before I make my pick, I would like to uh, remind Brody Van Wegenen to accept me on LinkedIn. You coward. Mm-hmm. I have a lot mm-hmm. of good ideas, and he's refusing to hear any of them because <laughs> he doesn't think that I have the business acumen, I guess, to, if no, to stand if up no to no good baseball ideas. Sorry, <laughs> Matt. <laughs> oh, boy. All right, my uh, new enemy is not new at all. I have hated him since the moment (laughs) I became aware of his swampy existence. I am taking the incorrigible Mark (laughs) Canna of the Oakland Athletics. Hate him a lot. Uh, This year, he actually did something that, like, he did, like, an actual action that could lead me to hate him, which was the the slide into J.P. Crawford at second base. Uh, if you the forgot about this, savvy? Which, the, the, might you say savvy? So Sav? I wouldn't say that. Mark dare I say? say dare I say was the exact. Ugh, I hate him. Yeah, to clue everyone in here, uh, this was a pretty ho hum game. I want to say it was like a, a weekend day game in Oakland. Uh, Mark Canna is sliding into second to break up a double play, and he, without question, sticks his foot out to hit J.P. Crawford. Like, Hooks him. Yeah, Canna's hand is on the base, and then his foot is, like, seven feet away, hooking J.P. Crawford. Uh, Mm. And then he receives no consequence for it, and then Mm. takes to Twitter after the game for one of those, like, one of X threads where he's, like, not sure how long he's going to go. So he starts Mm. off, he's like, first of all, great win or whatever, like, go A's. And then he's like, also, if we go to the rule book, like, blah, blah, blah. But the thing that really got under all of our skin was he ends it as, like, his weird, like, conclusion by going, so, you know, all in all, it was a smart and, dare I say, savvy slide. Hate and it. we all decided yeah. that was the worst yeah. combination of words anyone has ever put together. And uh, since that very moment, I think he's been the number one enemy of Lookout Landing. Yeah, he's yeah, a real fucko. Yes, which we should also mention while we're just, you know, shoveling dirt onto his grave that... The uh, original hatred from me started upon him coming to Seattle last year for a series. Uh, not great weather, but certainly Fully not... enrobed in his balaclava. <laughs> yeah. Yes. I was going to say, certainly not great weather, but also not snowing. <laughs> yeah. And he's wearing, like, you <laughs> yes. couldn't see any of his skin. And, like, that's not an exaggeration. Like, his neck was completely covered. His two sleeves, like, he looked like he had been, like, punished and was being forced to play baseball in some sort of, like inclement weather it was really some handmaid's tale shit yeah oh my god yeah and then he had the bob dylan walk-up song which is like 
I don't even hate that song. I just hate it in that context. And he has was, an Instagram called like MLB Foodie or something like that, where he's always. So yeah, I've done a lot of a lot yeah. of sleuthing on there. The Instagram, if you want to hate scroll, is at Big League Foodie. But Big the League worst Foodie, one is it. his Twitter is Outta De Pac Mac. Like mm, there's no. Awful. And he's not from Boston. He's from Oakland. <laughs> like he really leaned into this whole like my name's Mac, but he's like from the exact city where he's still working. So I don't know what that was all about. He loves the San Jose <laughs> He is, like, Sharks. the worst person in your office who comes in on Monday and talks about everything he did over the weekend where he, like, rode one of those beer trolleys around. Yeah, he and, loves that. Yeah, and then had, like, a farm-to-table meal where he was sitting elbow-to-elbow with a local celebrity. But he's not going to drop names. Just know right. it was an incredibly enlightening conversation. And then he went home and read a little David Foster Wallace before falling asleep. Yeah, he read like three pages of it and then decided that he knew enough and didn't need to keep going. He yeah, seems he like definitely the kind puts of a lot of stinky kombucha into the work fridge. He's yeah. the worst. He seems like the kind of guy who will learn. This is a classic college guy move. He'll learn just enough to have an opinion, but it's not like nuanced at all. Like he has one talking point. And if you challenge him on it, then he's like, well, you know, it's just like, that's just what I think. Like, I don't, yeah. he doesn't have any it way. It can't to be wrong. Up. It's just an opinion. Exactly. That's to be fair, Jerry DePoto used that line energy. a lot at the town hall where, um, yeah, which I don't pe- love. <laughs> people, yeah, people that. were giving, well, I mean, people were like, people were saying nutter butter things. Like, you know, a lot of you should fire Scott service because he wasn't able to, lead okay, well, a, a team that had more talent than this to the playoffs and then sure, he's that's off, much different so. than me telling mark canna that neutral milk hotel is not that good like there's well, there's different things it's your opinion here. and therefore it cannot be wrong i thought that that was a very gracious response your opinion cannot be wrong i think that that sure. is i think that that's an excellent thing to say when somebody yeah, this presents is you with some selective. bizarre bullshit but yeah, we just hate it if Mark Canna says it. We hate it if Mark Canna says it, exactly. And He's I hate that those... Mark Canna makes me be, like, a little... Like, he forces me to be the, the most cynical, angry version of myself. Because, honestly, I would probably love him if he played for us. Yeah. I would just look He's... past all of the uh, pedantry. We're probably... Me and Mark Canna are probably more similar than we are different. And I think he'd be well... one of those guys where, like... He would start expressing opinions that I agree with, and then I'd start rethinking them. Like, well, maybe maybe I don't even think that. <laughs> like, I need to reassess everything that's happening here because it's like that that uh, reductress story, like, or click hole, whatever. Like, worst guy. Worst you person you know, point. yes. <laughs> Terrible news. Worst person you know makes great point. Um, I think, like, uh, what's that old saying that the person that you like the least, the the people you hate the most have the qualities you most fear in yourself? Oh. So, like, you know, you might be recognizing a, a shadow aspect of yourself in Mark Canna. Like, maybe I am Gross. a little pretentious oh sometimes. Yeah, I I'm sorry. We, we don't need to take it there. Let's move on to the next category. All right, final category. This is going to be a rapid-fire one. Don't okay. think too hard. This one is called the Tyler Smith Award for the most forgettable player on the team. Mm. There's been a lot to choose from. For those who are unaware, the Mariners quite literally use the most players in a season of any team in the history of this game. So there's a lot of people, when you're looking at the B-Ref page, 
even two years from now, you will say there is no way that guy existed. Similar to Mariners legend Tyler Smith. So my pick for this OSU one. OSU product. Huh? He went. He's a beaver. <laughs> he's a beaver. That's why I knew who oh. he was. Oh sure, I didn't so even has, know that. He has I, some kind of legacy, but anyway, you could have said any college in the continental <laughs> United States. <laughs> all right, all right, let's said go. Yes. Uh, so yeah, most forgettable manner. My personal favorite is Mike Wright, who. Pushed... Oh, Mike Wright Jr. He wanted Mike to be Wright called Jr. Mike Wright Jr. Yeah. yeah. Uh, apologies to his father, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Mike Wright, who had the unfortunate distinction of playing for both the 2019 Baltimore Orioles yeah. and the 2019 Seattle You Warriors. know it's a bad pickup when Orioles fans are making fun of you for making it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. it was a rough one. He's Wasn't still in the Orioles. Yeah, he went to Tacoma. Either. They're trying to iron some stuff out, I think, with him. Keep working. Um, I'm, I'm going to go, I think, see – I think there are some, like, clear, just, like, occasionally appeared players, but, like, I legitimately, at the time, it wasn't forgettable, but at this point, like, we did the whole Sporkle thing, and I 100% forgot about Zach Ross Cup, Um, and I feel great about that, but... (laughs) I feel great that that's not taking up space in my brain. (laughs) Yeah, so Zach Ross Cup, because, like, Zach Ross Cup, like, got a MLB deal, and, like, was awful and then was literally released which is hard to do and then got signed by the Dodgers and then I think released again Um, and I don't totally get why he keeps getting signed because he's not really ever been good no and he's part of the absolute dying breed of loogie he's he's a a true loogie. loogie but like cannot throw strikes Mm -hmm. and i guess strikes people out but like i don't know he's got he's got absolutely horrible timing and his yeah so that that was my most forgettable one who every time he came in i was unhappy and yeah for sure burned the memory out of my brain the moment he he got released. that's Corey garen for me but yes absolutely he was Corey garen was better than zach Rowska, which is like he saying was. a punch and wetter in the, a punch in the thigh is better than a kick to the kneecap but mm. um mine is punching your thigh i don't know i was just trying to think of something that wouldn't hurt as badly but would still no, suck you're right absolutely it's um, just, I'm, I'm trying i don't to know man so I would maybe go with a paper mariner, someone who has never actually played in a game but was technically in the organization for the year, and Erodis Vizcaino. Oh, man. Yeah. That's a good one. Uh, that, I think, would have to be... That's like a deep-cut Sporkle quiz. But as far as like somebody who actually played games for the org, um, Mac Williamson would be mine. Oh, see, I saw Mac Williamson. He hit the home run in his first mm, plate appearance. Yeah, he sure did that, but he was also <laughs> just bad. He was so terrible. <laughs> he was so, so terrible. And he was blocking guys in Tacoma who I wanted That's to come true. up. I mean, that That's was like true. the height of, why don't you call up Ian Miller, you fuckers. Um, uh, and I'm glad Ian Miller is getting run in Minnesota now. Go Twins. Big, mm. big Twins backer for the playoffs. But... Mm. Uh, yeah, I mean, when they were calling up Mac Williamson over Ian Miller, I was like, oh, God, Ian Miller will never wear a Mariner's uniform. Sad moment for me. So probably I'll remember him for that as being the person who stood in that way. But um, 
Yeah, definitely someone I'd like to forget. Yeah. Mac Williamson was on the team at the time when I was still watching fairly often, so I have a troubling amount of memories of him just being pretty vanilla. Like, he hit the home run, and then I would be watching the game, like, pretty invested, and then he would come (laughs) up, and I'd be like, what? (laughs) Like, he's still here? Like, I thought he had been traded mid-game. It's weird to, like, forget about a person while you're watching the game that they're playing in. And that was was exactly him. He was, like... One of the most, one of the greatest disparities between like buffness and productivity, <laughs> like he his biceps were gigantic. Yeah, I and might give like, that to Keon Broxton, honestly. I mean that's fair, but Keon Broxton at least was good, like an elite defensive player. Like Mac Williamson was, yeah, not he was nothing. Any, yeah, no at any, elite at anything. Yeah, yeah. Well, we hope this podcast brought you some value, and you will not forget about it mm-hmm. uh, years down the road. We are. I think podcast-wise, we're a level above Tyler Smith. No disrespect to Tyler Smith or his family, but as big always, talk, big talk. I mean, I you know, I think we're at that point now. I'm at the point in my career where I can start talking shit, and that's a fun time for anyone. So Tyler Smith, we're you definitely were first at the point the of the season. I think you gotta wait for Brody shit. Van Wingen to uh, accept you on oh LinkedIn first. If that happens, we're doing an emergency podcast where. People just will live tweet me things to say to him on LinkedIn, and I will absolutely do it all. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, before that happens, uh, we thank you for listening. And uh, if you have any awards you'd like to add, uh, shoot us a message on Twitter. Uh, we have a lot of space for just nonsense here, as these are not real awards, and we will not be giving them to any <laughs> of the players because some of them were rude. So we don't want that to hurt their feelings. But, uh, yeah, thank you, John, for uh, joining us all the way from the East Coast, which is in the oh, future. Yeah. People don't realize <laughs> that. Shoot, it's 1040 over here. Woo, wild. Wow. All right, well, that's an, uh, another sparkling edition of the Lookout Landing podcast. Uh, thank you, as always. I am on Twitter at mroberson22. I was joined by the lovely editors of this site, John Troopin and Kate Prusser. And we will talk to you next time once we come up with another thing to discuss because we are running out of ideas. And baseball. (laughs) And baseball.